Are you ready to go off script? Let's see how the Bible challenges the roles the world has written for us. A little while ago, I was scrolling through my Facebook feed, and I came across Charles Matthews' Washington Post article entitled, White Christianity is in Big Trouble, and it's its own biggest threat. At first reading, I'll be honest, I was infuriated at what I felt were unfair criticisms. But after I thought about it, I realized what an opportunity this article presented. It collects together no less than 13 criticisms against Christianity. In this episode, we respond to the first seven of the 13 criticisms in this article, including, number one, our society's war on Christmas that allegedly bothers Christians. Number two, a Christian baker refused to sell a cake for a gay wedding. Number three, 80% of white evangelicals in Alabama voted for a pedophile. Number four, we're ignorant of history. Five were ignorant of the current state of the world. Six were ignorant about scientific knowledge. And seven were surprisingly ignorant about our own religion. So here is our discussion. If you like, you might want to check out this article first before listening to this. You can click on the link in the show notes or just search for White Christianity is in Big Trouble and you'll find Charles Matthews article that way. Here now is Offscript episode 40, Roy Moore, Gay Wedding Cakes and White Evangelicals. Recently, a friend of mine on Facebook shared a Washington Post article entitled, White Christianity is in Big Trouble and It's Its Own Biggest Threat by Charles Matthews. And then he wrote afterwards... This puts a lot of my issues with religion into words. So I clicked on it, and I was reading through this article, this Washington Post article, and the various issues that the author raised. So I sent this over to Dana Rose, and we thought we could discuss the various points that the author made in this article with you. And I'll be honest, like on first reading, I was pretty infuriated with this article. I felt like it was very... (laughs) unfair and it was grouping together just a whole bunch of people that aren't necessarily don't necessarily belong together but i guess to start what was your what was your impression dan uh i had i had a similar reaction to to you sean i read through it a few times and i took notes on it every pass through and what struck me at first was one of the examples he holds up is why Christianity in America is in trouble is that, according to an exit poll, 80% of evangelical Christians in Alabama voted for Roy Moore, a candidate for governor in Alabama, and he's been accused by several uh, people of picking up teenage girls when he was uh, in his 30s, uh, to the degree that he was actually banned from a mall uh, where he would uh, pick these girls up, allegedly. So the author of this article, Charles Matthews, said that as evidence of the white Christian church in America being in trouble, look to the fact that 80% of white evangelicals in Alabama voted for him. So the author of the article 
basically held this exit poll up as indicative that the Christian church in America is in trouble. He also mentioned the case of the Denver baker who refused to bake a cake for a same-sex couple, and his case is now being heard by the Supreme Court. He, he sort of took those two events that happened, uh, those, these two data points, if you will, and projected it or extrapolated it to the entire white evangelical church in the United States, which I thought was lazy and not accurate. And while I did agree with a lot of what he wrote in there, um, that being the central part of his, of what of his column and of his opinion, it really detracted from some of the things he said that made a lot more sense. I agree that he took a few very specific cases and then jumped in and made a lot of general statements. But I believe um, this depiction of white Christianity and certainly the perception of it from other demographics in the country, um, I believe this is pretty accurate and really the way people do see white Christianity. Going in um, later on, he talks about how the perception is largely the white Christianity is governed by fear. I think that's kind of an accurate perception. Mm -hmm. There is a, a lot of um, outrage and a lot of complaint and, and a lot of fear in white Christianity uh, used to be by far the majority of everyone and certainly, uh, you know, held the purse strings and held the power throughout so much of our country. Certainly this demographic has been losing ground and I think does have sort of a similar reaction. Also, um, when, when Christianity gets mixed with culture, it can lead to nominalism. When it is part of your identity from the cradle uh, to the grave, that can be dangerous for Christianity and for those of us who really want to be perceived as genuine followers of Christ, not because we were born into it, but because it was something that we chose to do. I think white Christianity can be an easy target if the white becomes more essential to some people in this demographic than the actual Christianity. So I understand where they're coming from. I certainly disagree with some of the points and some of the things he built his argument on, but sort of uh, this over overarching Criticism of white Christianity is something that I have been very aware of and very troubled by for years. You're saying that there are some points in here that you would dispute, but overall this is a wake-up call that we should take seriously. I mean, I, I'm very saddened by it. Like, the face of Christianity in this country is very, very important to me. Um, I really would like people to look at us the way that they look at Christ. I think they look at us very differently. I wish um, we represented him better and we were, we were better followers of him. But I do think this perception uh, that he describes, and actually I was surprised to see he was a Christian like later in the article because it sounded like an external criticism, but I think this perception is pretty accurate. I agree. And like I said, I, I do agree with a lot of what Mr. Matthews wrote. I do think, however, that as far as a homogenous macro entity, white Christianity in America, you can look at examples of where that body has taken hits going back weeks, months, years. There's always examples of, if you want to pick and choose, people that say they're following God and are doing the opposite, like Joel Osteen closing his church doors to people fleeing a hurricane in, in Texas stories that crop up periodically of pastors who embezzle from their church. I don't think you could take these singular data points and extrapolate them to the big picture and say, wow, the church is in trouble because you're going to find hypocrisy in every religion, no matter what it is in any country. And there was hypocrisy in the first century church. A lot of the new Testament talks about hypocrisy in the church and how to deal with it and what Paul did, how Paul addressed it. It's been a constant condition since even before Christ died. 
I'll have to be honest. The first read through this article for me was infuriating. <laughs> it was just mm-hmm. personally felt very attacked and very much slandered in, in a way that it like I, I didn't feel like it was it was true to my experience. But I'm being lumped in with mm-hmm. people voting in Alabama, which I don't know anything about, mm-hmm. and a baker. So. And then, and then a lot of these other things, or even just the term white evangelicals. Like, first of all, I don't even know how I feel about the, the term evangelical. I mean, if you mean by that somebody has, who has had a born-again experience or someone who recognizes the centrality of the cross or someone that recognizes the authority of Scripture, then, yeah, the shoe fits. But most evangelicals would re- reject me out of hand <laughs> for a whole list of other reasons. So... I already feel ambivalent towards that term, but then to, to, to label it white, I mean, we just had a church service this morning, and we have black people, we have white people. Right. Uh, you know, it's just like, I, I suppose across the country, that's maybe, maybe my experience is not the same as everyone else, and there are more black churches and white churches rather than integrated churches. I don't know, but I'm just saying, like, for me, I mean, I, I kissed a black woman this morning. Hello. You know, and <laughs> like, like if somebody came in and said, this is a white evangelical church, I'd be like, what are you talking about? This is, this is a church. This is centered on Christ, centered on the scriptures, a Bible believing church, comfortable with that. But like, what is this white thing? So I, I don't know. Like for me, my own personal experience, I felt like this article treated me unfairly, unfairly, and it was painting with too broad of a brush. However... Like Rose said, I recognize that the, the criticisms that Matthews makes, and I enumerated 13 of them, are widely held to be significant, maybe among outsiders more than insiders. Anyhow, that's my little rant. I was hoping we could go through these, and maybe this will take a couple episodes. Maybe we'll finish all in one. But uh, just kind of go through these criticisms. And the, the first one up to bat was his intro talked about how White Christians are mad that our society is becoming secular. And he gives three examples. He talks about how people say happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas, how there's always anger. Allegedly. I've never met anyone that's angry about this, by the way. I'd like to speak to that point. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, There's always anger, he says, about, quote, Starbucks covert war on Christmas. Then he mentions that Trump said that he wants stores to say Merry Christmas, everybody. So then he says, quote, once again, we are awakened to the terrible assaults on the Christian heritage of our nation. And that's a totally sarcastic (laughs) statement there. Just as one point is worth exploring, I I feel like, because in one sense, Christianity should be separate from the world. Okay, you have in John chapter 15, where Jesus says, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So what we see here is that Jesus recognizes the world's going to hate us, his followers, and that they hated him too. I mean, Jesus had a really tough life. He faced persecution from the world, from government authorities, and from his own people. He faced persecution from everyone, mm-hmm. even his own family at one point. Where it was like, what are you doing? 
I think in that context, though, Jesus meant the world's going to hate you for the right reasons. Right. <laughs> the, right. What we're talking about here is them hating Christians for the wrong reasons, the hypocrisy that they see. But I agree with your with your point, Sean, that that you mentioned earlier about nobody that you've known or talked to or met really cared about the whole Starbucks dust up and a couple of years ago or last year. What I'd like to say about that coming from a uh, journalism background is that oftentimes what happens is you'll have uh, a person or a group of people, a small group of people who are upset about something and they make a, um, make a stand or they make a statement or a Facebook statement and then a producer on a TV show or a news program sees that and decides to make a story out of it. And <clears throat> when they blow it up to that level, they go and talk to the people that have the issues with the Starbucks cup. It becomes bigger than it actually is. Mm -hmm. So it started with one person or it started with five or six people or say a whole church that criticized Starbucks for, you know, removing religious iconography from their cups or whatever the, the thing was. That's on the main, a very small percentage of Christians nationwide. But because it's such a ridiculous thing to <clears throat> be upset about or to draw attention to, it gets picked up by more and more news right. networks. More and, people share it on social media. Right. And then the perception becomes from the outside world that, oh, Christians in America are annoyed at Starbucks for this really silly reason. Mm -hmm. And the perception is that every, every Christian feels this way. Right. And to your point, Sean, I didn't care. I didn't even fully understand what people were upset about. Nobody that I talked to about it, like cared or Christians cared or it wasn't a thing. But I think the news climate we live in, it was sort of a funny, quirky thing that could be easily ridiculed. It got picked up by networks across the country and it snowballed into this, into this really big thing. And I think that happens often, not just with these types of stories about, you know, oh, look at the silly Christians, look what they're doing now, but anything like you can look at any viral article and and really trace it back to well it's not as big as it seems right mm -hmm. and this is still a symbol though of the increased secularization that has happened and is continuing to happen in america and you know whether it's true or not it's still a symbol of that just like the happy holidays instead of merry christmas and whatever president trump said so I have a vested interest in this whole secularization issue, though, because the more secular our culture becomes, the more belief in God appears incredulous, and the more <laughs> difficult it is to do evangelism, because just the words you say and the concepts you convey, are they seem implausible because of people's assumptions and biases that are unexamined and just lurking beneath the surface. Second of all, I have children, and they go to school, and they're participating in the milieu of this culture, and the school is not a neutral area when it comes to a lot of things. They take moral stands, and, and a lot of those moral stands are very good. Like there's, there's a big campaign against bullying, for example, which is awesome because I got bullied and it was terrible. But uh, the whole secularization is certainly present in the school system. And here's another symbol, Dan, uh, that our parents would talk about. I can't believe they took prayer out of schools, oh, right? right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a classic one as well. And these are, I mean, I realize this, the, the way Matthews is using these things is like to, to just like kick, Christians in the stomach, even though like by the end of the article, he comes out of the closet as a Christian. <laughs> and, 
he's much more reasonable tone. And I, and I understand like how journalism works or, or how writing works where you're trying to like draw people in, in the beginning, say something a little shocking to get, you know, shares and whatnot. he's also trying to be timely. So he's jumping on recent events. Right. But, uh, there is a real sense in which America is getting more and more secularized and that Christians are, there, there is an appropriate concern about it. Uh, but then there's also the flip side of it where, there's a um, a desire to take over the country and not allow freedom. And America really has both legacies. In the beginning, especially the Massachusetts Bay Colony, there was not a desire for freedom. There was a desire to create a utopia based on what the Puritans thought was the right way to live. And anyone who, who deviated from that was severely punished or killed. Then you have this religious freedom idea coming in once all the colonies have to band together to fight off the British. Now you've got Maryland, which is a Catholic colony. You've got Pennsylvania, which has got Quakers and all kinds of stuff. Then you have the Puritans, and they all want to work together. Well, how are you going to do that? Mm -hmm. You need some sort of freedom of religion so that you can form a government or at least something provisional to coalesce around in order to fight. And so America really does have both strands in its DNA. It has the intolerant, this is the way everyone should think, and we're going to make it hard on everyone that thinks otherwise. And then it also has the pluralism. And I'll tell you what, as a Christian, I much prefer the pluralism because it allows people the space to make their own decisions for Christ or against Christ. And that's the way Jesus was. He did not force people to follow him. Mm. He invited people. He told people the consequences if they wouldn't follow him, but he was not try, He was not like Muhammad who, who tried to, to establish a government. Mm -hmm. Jesus said to the church in Laodicea, I would rather uh, you be hot or cold than lukewarm. I think the, the pluralistic society allows you to really identify as hot or cold without you know, having a government that is you know, married, in a sense, uh, to a religious institution where everyone ends up some flavor of lukewarm. So I appreciate the authenticity um, that we can express in terms of our belief. Um, and then also for evangelism, to your point earlier, um, I understand it is difficult uh, with this changing perception of Christianity, but in my experience, reaching out to people, it's easier to talk to someone who has the courage to identify as an agnostic or as an atheist. A lot of people, at least here um, in this part of New York, will sort of run to sort of their families, evangelical or um, Catholic heritage, and sort of claim nominal Christianity as sort of a protection, you know, from the onslaught of my gospel um, to them. And I have found that is the most difficult thing to address. I really appreciate when someone is able to come out as not Christian and to have a discussion from there. So I r really appreciate the pluralistic society as well. I think generally speaking throughout history, people do not respond well to coercion. So I would much rather live in a pluralist society because making somebody's choice for them, you know, through threats or coercion, that's not a heart change. And I don't think God is interested in anything but your heart. Mm -hmm. The opposite is to live in a country where the government enforces one particular brand of thought, whether it's atheism, which we've had plenty of countries adopt rigorous, thoroughgoing atheism as the, um, the worldview. We've had plenty of countries adopt Catholicism, uh, Protestantism. And, you know, the problem in these, in these cases, once again, to bring in the kids is that well, as children come of age, they really don't have a choice. They have to go to church, or they're not allowed to go to church. 
you know, in, in either of these kind of totalitarian mindsets. And the result of hypocrisy is just way more prevalent than if somebody had the freedom to choose their own religious destiny. So for, for that reason, I think the pluralism is a lot better. But the problem is, at least in America, nobody's happy to allow, extend freedom to each other. Everyone's bullying everyone. Mm-hmm. And like just going on to a criticism number two here with the, the baker. I mean, this guy, it's not like he went on a, a rampage. You know, he's just like, I'm sorry, I, I can't make that cake. You know, I'm sure he probably had tons of orders for cakes going on. He's just like, I just feel uncomfortable for my religious reasons. To, and, and, and there's no freedom extended to this guy. I mean, he's in court. I mean, his business is probably done. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I haven't looked at the particulars of it. But this guy has become the flashpoint for the center of why Christianity is evil because they don't bake cakes for gay people. You know, and it's just like, I'm sure he never wanted any of that. That's the central sort of uh, hypocrisy of liberalism is that they'll say that, you know, we extend freedom to everybody. It's all tolerance, but they're not tolerant of people that would think differently than them. Yeah. And to your point, Sean, it, it reminded me of the woman who did not grant a marriage license to a gay couple uh, a few years ago, and she was absolutely bullied, and, and I think she lost her job. But she became basically an, uh, hated nationally by pretty much everybody. Uh, you know, perhaps there were some, some uh, conservative or evangelicals that sided with her. But whether or not you, you agree with, with her refusing to grant a marriage license to a gay couple... I think it's troubling that that in this country, you know, land of the free and home of the brave, we can take somebody who took a stand, right or wrong, and absolutely just pillory them on the national level. For a tolerant and freedom-loving country, when you're on the wrong side of that tolerance in today's world, magnified by the internet, you can absolutely find yourself to be a gigantic target. And people are like the baker and like this clerk. Right. And, you know, this is actually a really nuanced and complicated issue because on the one hand, I want to say you should have the freedom to make a cake or or provide a a good or a service to whoever you want. But on the other side, in this very country, for many years, black people were not allowed to have certain services or certain goods. Like, for example, take the movie theater – they would have to go around the back and up the stairs, and the seats weren't nice. They were hard seats instead of soft seats, and it wasn't cleaned, and they didn't have the same kind of access. And you could say, oh, well, that movie owner has the should have the freedom to treat black people differently than white people. Well, I don't think so. That is absolutely unacceptable. And here's the other thing. In that scenario, back in this country so many years ago, there was not another theater to go to that was integrated or all black and nice. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think that's really was was behind this fear. You know, and Matthew's course is accusing the white evangelicals of, of, of making decisions based on fear, but this is a this is a fear that uh, secular or pro homosexual marriage Christians have towards this whole issue, which is, well, if we allow Christians to not make the cake, then we're right back to, 
you know, 1950s America that's, where, you know, so help, help us understand that difference. I think that's false equivalency because okay. that gay couple very well could have went to another bake shop and gotten, gotten their cake. Those black people in the analogy you just made, the true analogy that you just made, uh, as you said, did not have an alternative. And, and it was an institutional practice in governments at every level to exclude black people from having certain privileges. It is not an institutional or systemic practice of the Christian church in the United States to deny any kind of service to gay people. So to say that those two things are analogous is I think disingenuous and also people that land on the uh, gay side of this equation, like, oh, you should serve everybody equal, you know, equally. They believe that they're fighting against injustice. And I don't think they're fighting against injustice. I think they're fighting against people that would disagree with them. Right. In other words, you're saying they're forcing their beliefs on other people. Yes. Which is exactly what they stand against. And I guarantee they could have found even another Christian baker in Denver to bake their cake for them. But they happened upon this guy. This guy took the stand, right or wrong, and they said, well, he's going to be our target. And now he's you know, in court and there's this whole huge, and as you said, I'm sure his business is tanked now, but yes, I would, I would say that's a, that's a disingenuous argument to say, well, if we allow this guy to deny service to gay people, then we're, we're right back in, we're right back in Jim Crow America. Matthew's strokes are also too broad here, I think, in his treatment of this. Later on, he says, when we've reached a place where good Christian folk think it's a matter of major theological principle not to sell pastries to gay people, but are willing to give pedophiles a pass, I think it's safe to say that American Christianity today is in a pretty sorry state. He boils it down to a theological principle not to sell pastries to gay people. This was not actually discrimination, as far as I know, based on their orientation. This was the event of their actual marriage. So it was, and I don't think they would have discriminated against them on the basis of being gay. It was, I can't do your wedding cake because it was the wedding itself. Um, so I don't even think it's a case of discriminating against someone based on their orientation. I, my assumption uh, would have been that they wouldn't have, but they said, I'm sorry, I can't do that event. Right. So you're saying that if they were a farmer working at a farm stand selling broccoli, and a gay couple came up, they would sell them the broccoli. Right. But since it's a oh, cake yeah. and the cake's associated with an event that they disagree with, that they felt like they were compromising themselves. They'd be forced to compromise right. their own beliefs. Presumably they would have done a birthday cake. They would have done a New Year's cake, 4th of July, okay. anything else. Yeah, that's an even better Yeah, presumably, yeah. yeah, but not the wedding cake. Right. Yeah. And I understand that. And if that is what your convictions are... Um, not out of any sort of, of bias or uh, discrimination against that person, but because of the event, um, I understand that point of view. I also take issue with that excerpt that you mentioned, Rose, because he, he holds up this, this one singular case of the baker, and then he goes on to say, when we reach a place where good Christian folk think it's a, a matter of major theological principle not to sell pastries to gay people, who are these good Christian folk that he's talking about? He's talking about one person. Mm -hmm. So how do you make the logical leap? I mean, it, it's really a, it is really a leap in logic to take this one person, this one case, mm -hmm. and extrapolate that to, quote, good Christian folk. It's lazy and it's, and it's cheap, and it's, it does not perform a service to his overall point. And to me, it's, it's honestly scary to think that the government is able to force people to, to go against their strongly held con religious convictions. Yeah. I know in a lot of world history that's been the case, but 
in America, we have this thing called freedom that we really value. And I'd hate to see governments forcing people to go against their own because at that point you start getting into totalitarian regimes and Mm -hmm. that's not the kind of place that i want to live you know i mean i want to be able to you know so long as it doesn't infringe on other people's freedoms you know what i mean like i want to be able to have self-determination and be able to make my own decisions okay now let's let's move on to this business in alabama i know we've touched on a little bit what i heard on the news. I haven't spent a lot of time researching. Is it Roy Moore? Roy Moore. Roy Moore. But what I heard on the news was that he was accused of pedophilia and or sexual harassment or both. And that I remember distinctly, it was probably either NPR or Fox News because I like to listen to both because... Uh, You're just that well Because I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they played out a soundbite of, of Roy Moore ta- talking, and, and he unequivocally said that these things are, are fabricated. They're uh, made up by my political opponents so that they can eliminate my chances of the election. This whole, this whole thing's all political, yada, yada, yada. So, I mean, I didn't look into it any more than that. I just like, no, there are these allegations. He's denying them. I didn't really research it. Of course, I'm not living in Alabama and I'm not voting for this guy, so maybe they would research it a little bit more. But I'm just saying, like, could it be that a lot of people who voted for Roy Moore were voting because they believed his shtick that these were politically motivated allegations of the evil Democrats? Well, he probably didn't say evil Democrats, but, like, I'm trying to get my head into, like, the Alabama mindset here. Uh, Who now does have a Democrat (laughs) governor because he lost. So, I mean... I, I don't know. I think the amount of people that came forward accusing Roy Moore of this activity, in my news judgment, there's enough smoke there to say that there's fire and mm-hmm. the fact that he was banned from this mall because apparently he crews for teenagers there. Whether or not you're a white evangelical in Alabama who hand-waved that or who didn't care or you're a one-issue voter and you vote Republican all, all straight down the line, whatever your justification was... I think it's tough to take a stat like 80% of white evangelicals voted for for Roy Moore and all of the statistical variations within that data group and, and then take that information and somehow say something larger about the state of the church. That's troubling because you could be a legitimate white evangelical Bible-believing person or, you know, that strongly holds their faith. And maybe you had your reasons for Roy Moore, for voting for Roy Moore. Maybe they were questionable. I don't know. On the other end, you could have somebody who has some vague notion of who Jesus Christ is and grew up like going to church once a year. And some pollster comes up after they voted and say, hey, are you, you know, a white Christian? And they're like, yeah, well, who'd you vote for, Roy Moore? There's just so much, there's such a large spectrum within this, within this poll that it's really troubling for me to to take at face value this statistic and be like, yeah, Charles Matthews has a great point here. Right, and you said that he he cited another Washington Post article yeah. that did not provide a source yeah. for the stat. So if you read the article, it, it mentions the 80% of white evangelical uh, statistic, and it's a hyperlink, and it links you back to another article by Sarah Pulliam Bailey, who is the Post's religion reporter, uh, she's actually quite good. I've, I, I, I like her a lot. But in her article, 
she uses the same statistic and there is no source for that poll. You don't know who's behind it. You don't know the methodology. You don't know the sample size. You don't know how many polling places were, were hit with this exit poll. And I don't expect a post-election analysis, news analysis article to have that kind of detailed information about the polls that they cite, but I do expect them to attach a name to it or to hyperlink to the poll itself or something like that. And that's not the case with the, the Washington Post article. Now, Bailey's article further down does mention polls that were conducted by, I believe, Monmouth University in New Jersey, but nowhere does it say the exit poll we mentioned at the top of the article was conducted by Monmouth University. These stats then are disputable. They're not... But even if they were true, they would be, it's a questionable example to use. Right. It's questionable, I think, for two reasons. One, you can't universalize Christians' political decisions in Alabama and and say that that is a representative sample of the way we all think. Okay. And second of all, there there are lots of, of Christian folks that consider the abortion issue so significant because it's literally life and death that they're not even concerned about other things. And they t- they typically vote Republican because they feel like, well, maybe if I keep doing this, eventually people will stop killing the unborn. And I've met a number of people like that. And maybe you want to disagree with them, say you shouldn't be a single-issue voter, but to come back and say, oh, you like pedophiles, yeah. you know what I mean? Like there It's might a total be a, cheap shot. It's a cheap shot because they're— and maybe it's not abortion, maybe it's some other issue. There might be other considerations here. It might not right. be reducible to this one single thing, like a pedophile or a Democrat. Which one's which one's worse? Oh, well, the Democrat. Let's vote for the pedophile. I'm sure people are right. not saying that. And that's what I mean when I... Alabama. And that's what I mean when I say that it's, <laughs> that it's lazy writing. He's cherry-picking this, a couple of news events, extrapolating on a national scale in support of his point, and... While that's really easy because you can cite a poll and say whatever you want, it's not really uh, an accurate way to present your argument. And there are accurate ways to present the argument that he's making. And he does later on, you could you, you, you could say. But yeah, I, th- I thought the whole like, they vote for this, you know, they won't bake a cake, but they'll give pedophiles a pass. I mean, I thought that was such a such a wrong-headed way to address this topic and a, a turnoff to both uh, well, a turn off to Christians that would that are that are reading it certainly, but also anybody with any kind of fair-minded news judgment would say that's a little tough to to make that connection. Moving on, then a little after that, he talks about how we're ignorant of history, we're ignorant of the current state of the world, we're ignorant about scientific knowledge, and we're quote surprisingly ignorant about religion. Now, he puts links for all of these statements which were really interesting to click on because none of the links pertain to white evangelicals. They pertain to Americans in general. Mm. So I feel like this was kind of like a a rhetorical sleight of hand here because he's just uh, spent a a paragraph nailing white evangelicals to the wall, especially with that quote that Rose read. And then he says, oh, well, we're all just ignorant about this, 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 and this. And it's like, at the very best, a very poor strategy for trying to convince people to change their mind. It doesn't hold up to scrutiny, too. And you look at the links he sent. These are sort of like one-off little surveys from different sources where they ask people on the street or people on the phone questions about 
American history. And, and some of the questions are pretty hard. I didn't really know the answer to some of it myself. So like to then once again, take that as representative for all Americans and say, well, as Americans, we don't know American history. It's like, well, yeah, a lot of Americans probably have forgotten the order of the various wars of the 1700s and the 1800s. You know what I mean? But does that mean that we don't know history? You, you know what I mean? And, and, and so what if we don't? I feel like he's just like importing this like almost like random data in and then saying that this is the way it is. And once again, I feel like I've been unfairly lumped in with whoever else that doesn't represent me. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know American history that well, but I could tell you Civil War was in the 1860s. Okay, so what, what does that make me? Or we're ignorant of the current state of the world. And in that survey, they, they asked people who's the vice president, and nobody can say that it's Mike Pence. Okay, and then we're ignorant about scientific knowledge. People don't know how long it takes the earth to revolve around the sun. You know, it's probably they just don't know what the word revolve means. Or maybe they were super busy and you called them during dinner and they wanted to get you off the phone and they had a baby crying in the other room. You know what I mean? It's like, come on. Like, I feel like these things are just really questionable. Like, obviously, everybody knows a year takes 365 days, people, right? But, am, I just, am I just totally naive? Or what, what Well, we... I think that the larger point here <coughs> is that the links weren't even to white evangelical Christians. It wasn't. Right. It was. It was Americans in general. Right. So... As you said, it's a rhetorical sleight of hand, even similar to the one that he used with the 80% of white evangelicals voted for Roy Moore. It's taking a uh, supposed facts and applying them to another set of facts and reaching a conclusion. And there's so much variance within that realm of thinking that it doesn't really hold up to scrutiny. This is how he says it. This is how Matthews used statements about these various polls. He, he says... This is a direct quote. It's not just that a vocal segment of white Christians can't tell righteous leaders from sexual predators and overestimate the power of baked goods to communicate spiritual messages. Our failures are wider and deeper and more foundational than that. We're remarkably ignorant of the history of the current state of the world we inhabit. No better with scientific knowledge either. We don't believe the media, but we'll believe the most incredible Twitter rumor or Facebook post curated for us by Vladimir Putin. We are surprisingly ignorant about religion and not only other people's, but even our own. So like that paragraph right there, I think you could look at it two different ways of saying, you know, he's moved from white evangelicals to Americans in general. But that's that wasn't clear to me the first time through. It's deceptive. I don't mm -hmm. I think he did. I don't think he just linked to those things that didn't match up Americans versus white evangelicals. I think it was convenient to link to these articles about how stupid Americans are, but also not stupid, about how ignorant about everyday things yeah. Americans are and sort of link that to white evangelicals. Yeah. Yeah. And most people are not going to do um, the work that you did, click on the links and look at the actual demographics that are being represented here. Most people will just read it, be like, yep, yep, yep. And keep going. You know what makes me so angry about this article? It's now glib. That I think about it. What's that? It's glib. It's glib. Uh, this is actually a stick, this article, with which to beat other Bible-believing Christians. It's a bullying thing. Now, I'm not saying that Matthews wrote it for this purpose. I'm saying in our social media age, that's how this is going to be used. Mm -hmm. This is going to be used to, for people to, to rally themselves against pious people, people that are trying to take God seriously and, and their faith seriously. And what they're going to do is use this article as a stick to beat on them. And that's not helpful 
Especially coming from a Christian. Yeah. Right. And, and I know like, by the end, he kind of levels the plane. But people don't read to the end. They read the first couple of paragraphs and they hit share and be like, take that, Aunt, Aunt Myrtle. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and like, I told your grandma I was crazy or like Uncle Phil is a moron or whatever. And it's like, that's how this is going to be used in public space. And the people who need to read this are not going to read it because of the tone and because of the cherry picking and because of the broad brush business. And then everyone who should be reading an article from an opposite point of view, they're not going to read that either. So I I guess it's just like adding another fuel on the fire of our age's polarization and intolerance. And that's, to me, like, this is upsetting. And to take it out of the hypothetical and into the real, Sean, what you just said happened. The whole reason we're discussing this is because somebody posted this article on Facebook and said, see, this articulates a lot of the issues that I have with religion. Right. And that is something that we'll be discussing next week in our podcast in part two. Right. And I realize that a, a lot of what I've been saying here has been critical. And I'm, I'm not trying to like be nitpicky of Matthews. I'm sure he's a great writer and he had deadlines and everything else. I'm not trying to be unreasonable. But at, at the same time, there is there's a lot of unfair treatment. And that Rose's earlier point is also true that the church has a heck of a lot of sins that we need to face up for. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I'm not trying to say that there's no problems in Christianity, we're all perfect, it's just the, the darn news media. I'm not, I'm not going down that road. I'm just saying, all right, let's be fair. Let's talk fairly about things in, in, in respectful ways and see what happens. So, and yeah. Let's not take something that happened in a governor's race in a very conservative state and apply it to Christianity as a whole in the United States of America. I've said this before. It's just, it's just lazy and does not serve anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is diversity among, um, among the church, even among white Christianity, that he does not recognize here in this article. I think, and yes, I, I definitely think Christianity and also white Christianity um, has a PR problem. And when there's um, articles written like this, it definitely feels like a slap in the face because we do work so hard to follow Christ. And this is the kind of PR that we end up uh, reading. I think um, for us, the challenge is to go out and live out the authenticity of our faith and let them see um, that we are not dragged around by our political stances and, and our partisan viewpoints, but that our goal is to follow Christ in an authentic and real way and uh, to not operate out of fear, as he says, and as probably a lot of us do, um, but to be driven by the love of Christ and uh, to live that out in, um, in authentic ways in the world. Oh, ultimately, as well, whether you're white or not white, whether you're uh, Bible-believing or you're a, uh, a mainline or a Catholic, whatever, even if you're a secular person, not a religious person, we all struggle with hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is a human problem. It's not a Christian problem. I mean, it is a Christian problem, but it's also a human problem. And really, you know, if you're going to judge Jesus on the basis of his followers and specifically pick out the most fringe examples of them, then you're not, you're not doing yourself any favors. The best thing to do if you want to judge Christianity is to look to Christ. You read the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You read them and you decide for yourself, is Jesus worth following? Does he have wisdom that can help you in your life to figure out how to live? 
did he do something heroic and self-sacrificial and noble such that it inspires you to want to live differently? Is he really the savior of the world, God's only begotten son, or is, is he a quack? I mean, th- that's really what you need to do business with if you want to judge Christianity, because and at the end, Jesus is going to judge Christians as well. Mm-hmm. And he's already said that on the last day, there's going to be a lot of people that are coming to him and say, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, do many miracles in your name? And he said, I'm going to say to you, I never knew you. So like Jesus knew that a lot of his followers would be knuckleheads. Yeah. I want to reinforce that point that hypocrisy has always been present in the church. It's always been a major impediment to those who would otherwise see Christ. But also just note that religion is, is, is personal. Finding Christ and God is a personal journey. And you can't lump all Christians into the same category any more than you can, with any intellectual honesty, dismiss Christ with a Facebook post. I mean, the macro hypocrisy of the church has nothing to do with the personal journey of knowing God or whether you as an individual choose to conform your life to the teachings of Christ. That's your decision. You can't hold up you know, somebody's hypocrisy and say, oh, well, I'm not going to... It's like saying that you're not going to go work out because somebody you know works out can't lose weight, even though you know that that person eats fast food five times a week. Christ isn't going to judge 80% of white evangelicals in Alabama. He's going to... It says in the Bible that God knows the hearts of men, and he's going to judge your heart, and you're going to stand alone before him, and you're going to have to answer to yourself. You're not going to be able to hold up this article or, or this stat and say, well, God, 80% of white evangelicals voted in, in, in favor of a pedophile, so I didn't want to be part of that, so that's why I didn't you know, explore Christianity. I mean, that's, to me, that's a cop-out. Thank you so much, guys. So today we responded to the article and uh, some of the the flaws in the way it was written and how it um, sort of smeared um, white Christianity as a monolith. Next time, we're going to look honestly at some of the criticisms and see um, how we as a church uh, can respond to um, some of the criticisms here and possibly be improved for the better. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll see you next week. Well, I hope you enjoyed that discussion. Next week, we'll look at part two and discuss a number of other critical issues that our culture brings up against Bible-believing Christians, and and hopefully this can help you think through your own faith. Uh, we're certainly not saying that we don't have problems or pitfalls or embarrassing brothers and sisters that do silly things or hurtful things. What we're saying is we want to take these criticisms seriously and compare them against reality and against the Bible and see how everything lines up. So stay tuned for next time. Thanks so much for tuning in. And don't forget, stop by restitudio.org if you want to leave a comment about this episode. We'd love to hear your feedback and and interact with it. Um, Also, please share this episode on social media. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Facebook recently denigrated all pages so that they don't show up in your feed unless you specifically change your settings so that they show up on the on uh, as a priority on your feed. So if you're wondering what happened to Restitudio posts on your Facebook feed, that's what happened. Uh, Zuckerberg changed the algorithm. So if you want to see them, please make the change in your settings. And if you want to get the word out about this episode or other episodes, please, on your personal feed, it makes all the difference in the world if you can share this. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week as we seek to get off the world script and live out authentic Christianity. One last thing, I just wanted to play out an alternative beginning to this episode 
for your enjoyment. This could be our new intro. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Offscript. <laughs> Gross. You're wearing the sparkles and you Come didn't on. even join in. <laughs> <laughs> so, surprised, so surprised by that entrance. I was too. I just rolled with it. 